0: I I think when you're going through it, you don't really, for me, when I was going through it, I didn't think of it as being that difficult.
1: Welcome to Everyday Leadership, podcast, where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools. In the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realise we are everyday leaders. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to my my dear friend, my fellow ambivert, the multi award-winning Suki Fuller, who is a competitive, strategic advisor, a storyteller of data, intelligence analyst with. Like diverse experience. When I say diverse, like from chemical engineering to intelligence. And she's lived all around the world, worked in academia, in national security, law enforcement, private corporations, and she's also a founder of Mirber and a senior VP. And that's not all her accolades, that's just all I could just capture <laughs> in a very, very short space of time. <laughs> How are you doing Suki?
0: I'm absolutely wonderful absolutely
1: now it's been when I say like my my friend Suki is one of the way we we'll, we'll jump on the call and we we'll just spend a couple of hours just laughing and just enjoying <laughs> each other's company because it's just like whatever you're going through we can just go back and forth and just and just keep it real with each other and I really really appreciate that especially for the last um, year or so and like I said she's so busy and involved in so much was such a great person. I just wanted to highlight that right from the fact. Aww. <laughs> all the
0: feels. <laughs> <laughs> we can start recording now. <laughs> <laughs> Got my compliments. Change. We're good Take now. My <laughs> <and> go.
1: <laughs> I like with with all my guests. I always I always like to start at the origin story of of how you got to what you're doing right now. For a lot of people who do not know, you were uh, you were born in London, even though you have an American accent.
0: In a land far, far away, <laughs> also known as right down the street in Phallam. <laughs> yes, I was born in Ballam. I, I, I still have never had a South London accent. Even as a child, I did not sound like that. Because, yeah. you know, I had one of those Jamaican grandmothers, you know, who made sure you pronounced your T's, made sure, you know, like, uh, yeah, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> you were not going to be sounding like you were for South London or, in fact, that you were not anything but, you know, some sort of upper crust <laughs>
1: British person. You had
0: to enunciate everything.
1: It's mm. good learning, though, for what you end up, end up doing in the end. So that was... Grandma was right.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> it hindered, it hindered the little girl, man. You know, you can't be running around. When I was a child, they used to call me thesaurus girl because I used to read and I used to just read everything. So I got kind of bored. I'd read the dictionary, <laughs> I'd read the thesaurus because it was one of those things I could read and I wouldn't get in trouble for reading. I mean you shouldn't be 6 years old and reading stuff like Stephen King but I would grab <laughs> <laughs> but I would grab the books from you know my aunts and uncles and I just be reading the stuff and you know just thought it was just really great you know I'm reading like Frank Herbert and James Herbert you know when I was a kid it's like maybe you shouldn't be reading that <laughs> but yeah but that's what they used to call me so you know yeah I was uh I was a, a curious child, insatiable curiosity, which actually works in my field. Mm. It's one of the key personality traits you must have.
1: What was your favorite book as as a child?
0: <laughs> That's telling. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think maybe there was a phase I had where it was sort of, Anything in the Dune series mm, Okay, I Absolutely loved that series. I still do to some extent, but yeah, and then I had a you know, so it was like the whole Then it was a phase with <laughs> horror <laughs> So I had a phase it was all about Stephen King <laughs> So I pretty much have read everything that Stephen King's ever ever written up until maybe like four, maybe in the last 10 years, I haven't read as much. But yeah. But wow. yeah, the Dune series was one of my absolute. I, I just sucked that day. up. And I used to read a lot of murder mysteries. Agra- Agatha Christie. I can't remember how you say um it's Nigel Marsh. I can't remember how you say her name. But it was a nice. a series kind of like uh, the Agatha Christie stuff. Wow. Book, all sort of stuff.
1: I yeah. used to love um and Ian Flavor Fle- yes. Ian Fleming was great. Ian Flavor was definitely great. I, I loved that as a teenager especially. But mine was um and it blightened. So the Secret Seven, of oh. Secret, yeah. I,
0: I, I had those. I had the wallpaper. I had wallpaper. <laughs> I had the faraway tree wallpaper.
1: Yes. <laughs> I couldn't like to the point where I couldn't sleep without reading one of those books. That's how bad it was growing up.
0: Um, I had the wallpaper. It was a big deal that I got the wallpaper. But what was even bigger deal is one of the reasons why I probably my eyes, besides the genetic part, my eyes are really bad is that I would read by moonlight because they would tell me turn the light off. So I turn the light off. Still- then they come back and they'd be like, you know, you had like a little baby light thing. I used to steal I stole the baby light from my brother's room. <laughs> so I would steal the baby light from my brother's room and put it in my room. And they come back in, turn off the baby light. I turn off the baby light. And I open the curtains. To this day, I still don't like to sleep with the curtains closed. <laughs> and I read by moonlight. It's a bad wow. habit. And it's a bad habit. And it's a bad habit I would still have today if I didn't make sure that. Like, I would probably lay in my bed and be playing on my phone with no lights on and just the phone light, but I make sure I don't have a phone in my bedroom at night. So no electronic equipment in the bedroom. That's how you get the best sleep.
1: Mm, that's real good, good advice. Hard to do, but really, really good advice.
0: Uh, it's actually really easy. I mean, I don't have a television in there, so I don't have any any electronic equipment, no clock, nothing like that. And I keep my phone just outside the bedroom door and my alarm is on my phone. So, and I, I'm the queen of any time you have any sort of wellness thing on your phone. I'm like, mm, I'm gonna give up my data for the wellness part. <laughs> so, and actually on my current phone, I don't have to give up anything, but I do like the, you know, the, the slow down part where it's like, you know, you can have the time to, you know, go into sleep mode. And I put that outside my door and i put my alarm on and door closed and my Mm -hmm. alarm is loud enough and intrusive enough that i will usually wake up two minutes before (laughs) and i have to get out of bed once i get out of bed i make the bed You get out of bed you make the bed you make the bed you're not getting back in and once you get out of bed and you open the door you know it's that that's completely disrupted the whole Oh, I'm gonna be going back to sleep <laughs> The only time that disruption of not going back to sleep can happen is if you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night <laughs> But you know, then it's like go with your eyes closed <laughs> Navigate to the bathroom. Oh, I, I I got it down. I know like okay, you know when you get in the bathroom Oh, wait, that's the laundry basket <laughs> 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 Make sure I have the soap in the right place. No, no, no. Is that the soap dispenser or the lotion dispenser?
1: <laughs> you got the patent down. How long did it take you to be able to get to that? The reason why I say it's hard to do for a lot of people is, as you all know, a lot of people are addicted to their phones. And it's like trying to let that go it's the first thing most people look up look at when they wake up in the morning it's the last thing they look at before they go to bed at night so trying to get that separation between you and your phone is not as really always easy so how did you manage to actually do that
0: I have to think about it but I haven't had a television in my bedroom for years probably I have a television but it doesn't actually function um, <laughs> i put my whiteboards on it um I'd say I don't know it's been a while at least a good seven years and I think it's it became a lot easier probably in the last two or three years I don't even think about it it's just... I mean, I don't even like to go into my bedroom during the day with my phone. I try to just keep it as like an electronics free area. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that I, I think that's actually the military part of my life still there. It's like make the bed, make sure that my dressing table is still like neat. So it's like I don't, I don't like to leave anything on top of my dressing table. It's almost like... Setting up my day. (laughs) And that's how I can tell when I'm having a bad day or like when I'm mentally not with it, there'll just be stuff on there and I'm just like, "Mm." and I'll come back at the end of the day and I'll be like, that's why I was not right. (laughs) Just little things. There are little things, but it's been a good couple years. And you know what? It all starts with winding down so i found that if i'm gonna be using if i'm on twitter and it's midnight it's usually because i'm laying on the couch i make sure i don't do it in in bedroom i just don't do it i just don't do it even if i'm got done working out and i have my phone in my exercise armband and i'm going in my bedroom to you know just like to take off my stuff nope take off my phone put it on the, on the coffee table. I just, I just, it, it's like a safe zone. It's a safe zone.
1: The habit has been formed and been created through discipline of you don't take tech into your room and anything whatsoever. You just, okay. Wow. It's,
0: uh, it's about the only thing I am disciplined with. (laughs)
1: actually true but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dive into that because you you just mentioned briefly um your army your army background and right now we're still at south london mm-hmm. born in london with grandma now you got an american accent so how do you go from london to that to your army career
0: so let's give you the brief synopsis although i know you're gonna ask for more details (laughs) (laughs) brief synopsis so my dad um was is an engineer and he was recruited when he was i don't know still in school so my parents both both here, recruited when he was still in school, still in college, I don't know, sixth form, whatever you would call that at the time, to be go to Saudi Arabia. So he worked here for, don't know what the precursor is, it was one of the earlier TV stations. Um, wasn't Channel 4, I don't know, they were like the production team behind that. So he's a um, computer, electrical, and mechanical engineer. So he was recruited to go and work for Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So that happened at a really young age for me. And yeah, we lived there for a little bit. My mom, not too happy with that place. (laughs) So my parents ended up getting divorced and my mother remarried and my stepfather was American, but Even before that, we still have the American arm of my mom's family. So, or should I say my mom? (laughs) It depends. Sometimes, but it's really funny when I talk about her, I say mom, but when I'm actually talking to her, I say mommy. (laughs) But yeah, can't believe I just told you that.
1: That's where you went though. That's the realness. That's how we talk. That's that's how we talk. (laughs) So many um, times.
0: But yeah, so yeah, so they got divorced and stepfather's American, but we still have sort of, I think with every family that comes from the Caribbean, we all have sort of an American arm because there's always some people that went to New York, some people that went to Canada. So with my family, with my mom's family from Jamaica, we have people that had gone to Philadelphia, we have people that had gone to New York, and people that had gone to Canada. So there was already an American contingency there. So when we moved to the States, yeah, you know, there were people there. We didn't get to connect with everybody at the first time, but my stepfather was from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So we didn't move there because he was in the Air Force. <laughs> so... We moved all around the first place I ever lived in the u.s. Was California and so you got a Black girl the English accent move into Southern, California uh, where everybody surfs and wears Birkenstocks and um, Tie-dye t-shirts and um, I show up and I'm wearing Doc Martens (laughs) I got my I like the Smiths. (laughs) Gotta, you know, I'm sorry. Not so much anymore. Morrissey just killed it for me, but, you know, Johnny Marr still can play some guitar. Um, (laughs) So I show up, Doc Martens Smith t shirt, you know, (laughs) Depeche Mode t shirt, knowing way more about American history. People didn't even know who Haile Selassie was, who Marcus Garvey was, you know, like, so I come with like my black power. I'm more black power than most Americans because as a child, we had dreadlocks. My mother was a dread, you know, we were Rastafarians. So there was that aspect building. My life is, there's a whole lot of stuff people don't know about me. You're just getting it all right now. (laughs) But yeah, so people... And then you know in the American school system and yeah didn't quite wipe out the uh, British accent probably until I would say I was at least maybe 17 but it's not really gone I think there are certain words because there are definitely people I know from university that have said you know they all knew that I wasn't a hundred percent they just like you're not American, but you're not Canadian. Where are you from? Mm. So.
1: How do you um cope as a young teenager sliding into, not only you sliding into the system, but you're also very smart, very educated. Therefore, even the way you're going to come across, you're going to, they're going to certain people are going to be intimidated by you, naturally speaking, let alone the fact that you're adding a lot more layers on top of that. Couldn't have been easy for you.
0: You know what? I think back. I thought it was pretty easy when when I no, I shouldn't say it was pretty easy. I I think when you are going through it, you don't really. For me, when I was going through it, I didn't think of it as being that difficult.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, there is all kinds. Of, there are layers upon layers of living in London as a child with dreadlocks and having a mother who is, you know, a Rastafarian in, you know, the, the 80s, you know, and then you had the Brixton riots Mm -hmm. and you had all of that stuff going on. And my mother, all of those people that were Rastafarians in London, they all knew each other. So all of those people were like my Aunts and uncles <laughs> quote unquote so those are people that I know, those are you know the, the the Levi roots of and those people those are people that I know. those are people that I was around as a child, so when you then move from being in that environment to there was a person at my primary school who had lice, and we had to cut my dreads. I'll tell you what. That was emotionally that was probably the most emotional trauma for me as a child to have every kid in the school had to get their hair cut because one person had lice, and everybody got lice and to this day, <laughs> I got to admit when I was a child I went around I questioned everybody. I was like, "So, when did you find out?" <laughs> Beginning of beginning of my, <laughs> my my intelligence career when I was going around the primary school in my notebook asking all the children when they found out they had lice, so I could pinpoint who the first person was. <laughs> did I you ever did find this. out? <laughs> but that that you know, but going from an environment like that where you already sort of have a stigma attached to you because you have dreadlocks, although I've got to say people are a lot more open back in the early 80s when it came to a, a, sort of an acceptance. There was, I guess when you were a child you didn't really see it 100%. But I, I think maybe when you're a child you're not really aware of all of the stigma. But as you get older you are able to see it more. So, maybe there it was there. I just didn't see it as much. And then to go from being in that sort of multicultural environment of of London mm. where you're going to school and you have friends that are Hindu and friends that are Muslim and friends that are Catholic, and you're going to school and it's just a a hot cesspit of just so many different <laughs> so many different cultures and then you go to California where you're either black or white <laughs> The occasional Mexican person <laughs> And the occasion Asian person but really and if you're black you're not deemed to be anything other than african-american and Then if you don't fit in that box you kind of looked at a little strangely and For me, I was definitely strange because I didn't sound like you know, an American, I didn't sound like a black American, so I didn't fit into that clique. And I wasn't white, so I didn't fit into that clique. So, you know, I, I sort of just, I don't know, found my own way and I was, I was actually fine. I I didn't fit in with any one group. And I think that still to this day, I don't fit in with any one group. I don't have sort of, I have, I wouldn't say tribes, but I don't fit with any one particular tribe. I think it's just like the tribe of Suki (laughs) and it's who I, who I decide to talk to at that time. I don't, I don't, you know, it's like we have all these different groups in tech, but I can't say that one is mine particularly. It's like, I'm a piece of everybody as in, you know? I'm a child of the world but growing up
1: I think it's one of the things that also sets also it's one of the things that sets you apart though because that is a very unique um characteristics that you that you have that you can slot into so many different cultures and environments very very naturally and just build relationships and get to know people so well and it sounds like a lot of that's come come from how you grew up and how you had to do that from a very young age, and just adapt and understand that actually I don't have to fit in, but I, I can build relationships and get to know other people.
0: Yeah, you know, in the army we have the uh, adapt and overcome, <laughs> which actually kind of fits my whole life. Um, I it's it's really weird because people always ask me about that, and I just I'm like I don't know i don't know it's just me it's just me i mean when i was really when i was young i would just kind of watch what was going on survey the landscape and you know and but i don't ever change me to fit you know like i tell people when they're looking at their environment say you're looking at just a room or work from home everybody's talking about you know oh we have to go back to the office we have to make it acceptable for people i always tell people look an office space is not built for a particular person an office space is designed for the collective It's designed for everybody and that's why when some people go to an office they're comfortable and some people go and they're not because they some people adapt their personality they adapt themselves to that space and some people go to that space and they can't adapt they just it just doesn't work for them whereas when you're working at home you're really comfortable because that space you designed for you you're in your comfort zone everything that's in your space you put there for a reason you you know the walls are painted you know within reason You know, that stuff, everything, the whole aesthetic feel, the environment is yours. It's designed by you, for you. An office space is designed by somebody else, and you have to fit into it. And that's how I feel with my personality. A lot of people go into a situation and they change their personality. They change how they behave to fit that environment. I don't ever do that. You know, (laughs) just like I point out to people, when I was a child, I met the queen and I didn't curtsy. And I got into a lot of trouble. But when we were doing the rehearsal at school, the teachers lined up in front of us, gave us our little fake flowers, and they all came down and they curtsied to us and we curtsied back. They did not explain that when you meet the queen, she does not curtsy. So, when she came to me, I was waiting for her to curtsy. Just like we had practiced at school, I was waiting for her to curtsy. <laughs> she didn't curtsy, I didn't curtsy. I didn't curtsy. Headmaster, ooh, Mr. Holland, never forget his name. <laughs> I had to, go to Mr. Holland's <laughs> office, they told my grandmother, they told my mom, my grandmother was horrified. Horrified, <laughs> you know, Commonwealth grandmother. Oh, how do you not curtsy to the Queen? <laughs> you know, and um, my mom, yeah, you know, my mom was always a militant, you know, <laughs> she was just like, oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I was just like, well, you know, she didn't curtsy to me. And that's just the way I, I look at it. You know what? I'm not going to change who I am to fit a situation. Uh, to fit an environment yeah maybe I might not be so you know OTT I may not you know just laugh and want to hug everybody but trust me if you fall and I'm in the room and I think it's funny and you are some titled person I am going to laugh just like if you fell and you were that three-year-old kid and it was funny I'm gonna laugh because if there is one thing that I truly know is that the best remedy for any situation is to laugh. So, mm, you know, um just, I, it's a good and a bad thing. I think sometimes is that I don't, um, I don't, my personality is not malleable. And, uh, you know what? I don't Does care.
1: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: don't care.
1: I, was <laughs> How does a, a personality like that work in in the armor reserves and in the intelligence <laughs> committee? Both areas that you've worked <laughs> in, which you would think those two things do not go well together, but yet you've you still work in intelligence committee. You you worked in the you were in arm part the armor reserves for twelve years. So how do both those two personalities go together?
0: Um, I think in the army reserves it worked really well because oh that sounds so egotistical um but damn it I'm owning it because I'm pretty smart damn it that's <laughs> what I'm talking about <laughs> because, because I'm pretty smart so I was always in positions in the units that I was in when I um was in command of a unit where I would have to be it's not so much being in control, but I would have to be in a position of authority. And when you're, you know, when you're working your way up and you're not in a position of authority, I was always the person that that person in charge, that company commander or whatever, they were always gonna come to me. It was like, hey, we need somebody who is gonna be in charge of communications, who knows how to run, you know, our signals off that was me that was me because nobody else was actually taking the time to read the manuals (laughs) so (laughs) that was me that was always me i was always the point person for something that was either technically facing or just a little bit more complicated than the average person wanted to know about so and when you're in that position eh, you can be a little bit of a smart (laughs) ass Because you can pretty much say some stuff that most people Would not get away with but because you know more than a lot of people you get away with So I was always able to sort of move the line a little bit and even I mean even when I was in charge of a unit I never really I Didn't abuse that the one thing I can say is that I made sure that the people that were in my unit that they had, they felt comfortable to voice themselves, whereas they didn't have that before. It was like, you know what, if you have a problem, if you have an issue, tell me the only way that the unit is gonna remain strong, get stronger, and be a really cohesively tight unit, be able to function at 100%, is if we know what's going on with each other. And so, I mean, I think that worked to to my advantage. Um, Yeah, I'd say it works. And have anybody who absolutely hated me. <laughs> At least I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but um in the intelligence, there's a reason why I don't work in government Intel anymore, and that is because of this mouth. Um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. It probably is because um partly because I have an unwavering ability to be a little bit too honest. And sometimes you have, you do have to modify. <laughs> and uh, even though I'm, I'm not, I'm not German, all my friends would say <laughs> that I was more German than some of my other friends who are German. Cause I could be a little bit too direct. And I think that's sort of the, the combination of the, different backgrounds culturally that over the years that you sort of gain as a child. You know, it's just like, oh, well, you know what? The fastest way between point A and point B is this straight line right here. So I'm just going to tell, tell it like it is. I'm not going to try and fluff it. Because when I was a kid, they used to say I was a storyteller. Um, <laughs> And it was not because I was fluffing it. It was because I would tell every single piece of the story. (laughs) And I was like, yes, it is a straight line, but I would tell you, well, this is what happens, (laughs) first of all. (laughs) And I would just describe every single thing. And as I got older, it was just, yeah, you do that in a more succinct manner in the intelligence community, but. Sometimes you're just not supposed to tell every single thing, especially when it's the parts that people don't want to hear about, like they were wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But there's a difference between what people want to hear and what they need to hear. And it was the fact that you were giving them what they needed to hear, but it didn't resonate, it didn't correlate with the direction and the plans that they had and therefore it was like, you're being insubordinate or different things like that.
0: Yeah, you know, um, you have people that have formulated an opinion before they've gotten all the facts and basically they just want your job to be confirmation. You know, you have confirmation bias and really, and you still have that today, you have that with, you know, corporate organizations that they come to you and they just really want you to just be a benchmark for something they already have. And I don't know, I think I can talk about this if I keep it in general terms. <laughs> um, recently, um, uh, a group that I work with, we had a client come to us and they wanted us to work on this project. and. We looked at the questions. We looked at the whole RFP. We looked at everything they wanted. We were like, they could find this in like five minutes. It it was, it was basically benchmarking. We're like, you have all this information. You could get this really quickly. This is, and we gave them a whole plan. Basically we changed the whole project to something. That was way beyond they, what they asked for. We gave them a strategic plan beyond what they were doing. And they didn't want that. <laughs> and we were just, and we didn't take the project. We said, no way. We're not going to take that. That's a benchmark and we'll be bored in five minutes and we could take it and charge you a lot of money, but it would be a waste of time for us. It, it would be a waste of time and it comes down to there is time factor and time and growth and if you're going to do something and you're not growing why i i for me personally i just don't understand why you would do it because it puts a stain on your reputation I I think when you get to a certain point, it'll put a stain on your reputation to do something. It's like going out in public speaking and somebody saying, well, you know, did you get paid for that when you've been paid? And now they don't want to pay you. People don't want to pay you. It's like, no, you know, don't go back. Don't go backwards in some areas of your, your life and your career. And I think too often we see a lot of people going backwards in their career where it's not advantageous and they're not growing, they're not learning. They're just going back because somebody said, Hey, can you do this? You don't always have to say yes. That is something I'm learning a lot of lately.
1: The ability to say no. no.
0: Oh yes. And saying no, definitively saying no without actually qual- quantifying or qualifying it.
1: One of my one of my um favorite statements which my wife reminds me of is I would say no is a full sentence. Yeah, <laughs> she was right through that. She learned that lesson from me. I'm like no is a full sentence. Like just no. I don't need to give you a, a reason behind it. I just don't want to do it. It's that simple.
0: Yep, it's uh, it's one that I'm constantly having to work on because I always feel like I just want to always help people. Mm. <laughs> And I I have to get that under control <laughs> So people listening Don't reach out to me and ask me for anything Because <laughs> y'all know the secret It's hard for me to say no <laughs> But I'm going to say no <laughs> So no Right now, no
1: <laughs> No, done I'm Not doing this anymore
0: Yeah, someone will reach out And I'll be like, well, yeah, sure Maybe <laughs> struggle is real i think there needs to be a self-help group for people can you say no join this self-help group and the the actual answer to joining the group should be no
1: (laughs) Your first test passed
0: exactly do you want to join this group no okay you're in
1: (laughs) Uh, speaking of um Power that you actually mentioned previously, which you were briefly just talking. How do you? Um, just thinking about where we currently are right now, organisations, people going back into work, some companies asking people to come back into work and not giving them the option to have a hybrid way of operating. And you obviously you've dealt with a lot of leaders, organisations all over, all across the world. How do you deal with power, and how do you? get to change the power dynamics in relationships, especially when you might feel like you don't have any.
0: You know that whole saying about, you know, you should look at people and see them naked. Yeah. Don't do
1: that. <laughs> I was about to say like,
0: like yeah. that's,
1: that's
0: dangerous territory to go into. However, I always think, for me, I was... Do personally think about when I didn't curtsy to the mm-hmm. queen because for me, I'm just like, you know what? She's no different than me. It's just different circumstances of birth. And every single human being that is on this planet, we all do a few things the same. And maybe it might not be exactly the same, but we're born, we live, and while we are alive, We all have to excrete and maybe you don't go to the bathroom in the same way but we all have to excrete the things out of our body that we don't need anymore and maybe you might have a coloscopy bag or something maybe it doesn't matter you still have to get rid of things out of your body that your body does not need you still have to get rid of the waste and then guess what the other thing we all have in common we die those three things and that's the way I look at humans I sometimes I'll look at people and I'm like yeah right you still have to go to the bathroom <laughs> you know? although I don't say it that way but <laughs> but, but but that's the way I, I look at it when I it's you know you can be in awe of a person but I think right now we have too many people that worship celebrities they worship people that are in what you deem as position of powers, they they worship people that are athletes. They worship tech gurus, quote unquote. I don't like that term either. <laughs> you know, they 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 idolize and they worship people. And the fact of the matter is, everybody living. And dying has gone to the bathroom. We all have to go to the bathroom. We all have flaws. We all have, you know, great qualities. So when I look at people and I look at the power, I just look at, you know, what? This is just a circumstance of birth and how you've lived your life. But at the end of the day, we have done, you know, two of the things the same. We were born and we have to go to the bathroom. And guess what? We're going to do another thing the same, and that's it. We're going to die. So all the other choices in between are just that their choices. And I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just pretty, I'm me all the time. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. And as I say, the only thing that I'm an expert at is being Suki. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. then I don't have it a hundred percent down until I actually die. And then, Okay, yeah. I was a good expert Suki. Hmm. But I, I'm not really sure about that power. Because
1: um, we'll, we'll see it we we'll see it play up in even when we look at the work around inclusion, equity in, in corporates, we we'll see it in, in the VCs and the lack of funding for
0: I tell it like for it all is all of that. I tell it like it is. I'm I'm known for not mincing my words and being direct, and and I do that. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's the the CEO of you know, M C Saatchi. You know, and I have to shout out to him because the first time I met him, he was um, he was working on a speech, and um, it was their annual. I think it was their annual meeting speech, and. And I was like, Oh, you know, that looks, you know, what do you, Oh yeah, I'm working on this speech. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and we were just having a meeting just about cause people kept saying, Oh, you need to meet, you need to meet. And so we had a, a chat about what they were doing about the programs they were setting up. Great. And I was like, Oh, let me, can I, can I read it? And he was like, yeah, sure. And he had a pencil sitting there and he had a pen and I started to read it and I was in the first paragraph for at least 5 minutes. And he was like, "What's wrong?" I was like, "Eh, there's some changes that you should make." And he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, go ahead." And he gave me the pencil. And I put the pencil down and I took the pen. And I went through and I marked up <laughs> that speech I didn't just mark it out I was like <laughs> and and this is the first time I'm meeting the guy <laughs> and I go through and I do that to a speech and and then he was like wow and I said isn't your motto for M&C Saatchi brutal simplicity and he was like yeah and I said well what all that other stuff is just fluff I said You were not simple and you needed to be simple. And I don't, for me, if I'm going to be in that environment and I'm going to be meeting somebody, uh, you, you got to play by the, the, the rules of engagement, (laughs) so to speak. And the rules of engagement are you have to be honest. You have to take that time and know that at that time you may not get another time. So why are you going to waste time? The only thing that we don't ever get back is time. Don't waste it. Take that time when you have it, you know, is <laughs> gotta take your shot. And why would you waste that time by being fluffy? Be honest. The only thing we really all ever have is just our honesty and our integrity. And it's like, uh I I, I got, you know, I got notches on my belt where I'm just like I'm like, uh, I did something and I don't like that I did that.
1: What was his his reaction?
0: What was his reaction? Oh, he was quite happy. He was, he was quite happy because he knew that that would not be feedback that he would get from people that are on his staff. When you're the top guy, people are going to sort of always placate you. They're not going to always question when you do something. They're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really great, even if they think it's
1: rubbish. That's still something um, I still struggle with. with, I I work with with leaders as well, and you've done it for for years and years. I still don't understand. The whole point of you being a leader is to surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you to help you be better, not people who are going to be yes men if you have yes men around you, you're never going to grow. You're never going to change. You never innovate. You just keep on doing the same thing over and over again, thinking you're great until something happens. So, and you've just given a great example of you being able to call him out and challenge him and use their own values <laughs> to be able to do that. How much he appreciated that. So how can we get leaders to understand that you need to surround yourself with people who are not just yes men, people like you who can be open and honest with them?
0: I think there's the model, the actual model of how people, the model of society, (laughs) the constructs of society, just the way it's built is that when you have a business and you start a business, you're not thinking of people that are constantly going to challenge you or question what you do. You want people that agree with you in order for that business to grow. So there comes a time when you are setting up your business you have to be able to understand you have to have a level of discomfort and that's what people in the intelligence field in competitive intelligence that's our role but too often people don't have us join companies until they realize hey wait we're not growing what's going on oh it might be the competitive landscape whereas It's not really the competitive landscape, it's your internal landscape. And so you have to be willing at the early stages of your company to look internally. I mean, we have this thing by um, this guy who wrote the CIA um, a a book called, this guy's name is Richard Hewer. And it's uh, the psychology of an intelligence analyst an intelligence analysis. And basically there's a chapter in there, analyzing the analyst. And it is about analyzing yourself. It's about making sure that you understand the dynamics of when you set up a team, the dynamics of when you're growing a company. People say lean and agile. You apply that to yourself. You apply that to your company and people don't do that they apply it to the external forces they apply it to how their company's growing they don't apply it to their team they don't apply it to each of the cogs in that wheel they just apply it to the big cog. and in order for that to work it's kind of like you know a, a watch you need to apply it to all the little pieces that are making that watch function as a whole and i always tell people even if it makes you really uncomfortable you have to go there and i mean there are people and this is one of the things that mm, irks me that's why i still have people that are in my feed that are not people that i really want to agree with ever in fact i just don't want them around ever but i still have them there because I need to be aware of what they're thinking. I need to be aware of what they're saying. I don't, I don't need to delve into their minds, <laughs> but, but I need to have at least some awareness of it because then you become in this bubble. As I say, in the tech community, it's a bubble. And it's groupthink. So you have everybody running for the same thing, Running in the same direction. We have the same thing right now with just even the the whole Diversity and inclusion. There's a bubble and You have to people have to be willing to have those uncomfortable discussions Inside the bubble. It's like in in the black community people don't want to talk about, you know classism or you know colorism they don't want to talk about that. It's just like the things that, oh, no, we can't talk about that. We can't address that. You know, we don't want anybody to know, you know, we don't want to air our dirty laundry in the black tech community. People don't want to talk about the whole aspect of Me Too. They're like, oh, no, that's not something that happens in the black tech community. Yes, it is. You need to address it, you know, and it's it's people have their bubbles and they want to stay in it, and that's. Gotta have the uncomfortable conversations and I'm I'm You know, it's one of those things damned if you do and damned if you don't and I'm just all about you know What damned if you do you got to do it because you're just Rebuilding The societal issues Mm -hmm. of greater society in a smaller society (laughs) You're just basically mirroring And why would you do that? It's just like the whole concept right now of hashtag build back better. It annoys me. What does that mean? That crushes me. That British slogan that they came up with number 10, whoever build back better. Why would you build back something that was not working in the first place? We are where we are because what we had previously was not working. So, when we build, this should basically be our baseline. And we build beyond this. We build something better. We build a better future. And we can take the things from the past that worked, the things that didn't work, we can say, okay, eh, we don't think that's going to work. And maybe some of the things in the past that worked won't work in the future because we wouldn't be where we are if they did, <laughs> if they did 100%. But at least, if we start from a place of understanding that you can't build everything back, we can't go back, quote unquote, to normal. Normal is now. <laughs> you know, if you look at the definition of the word, normal is now. This is the baseline of normal. And everything beyond this is just building more. It's, It just blows my mind. I hate that slogan. <laughs>
1: Are you surprised though? Because when when I think about it, for them in particular, especially those in those in government, it was easy and it worked for a particular part of the society, a particular yeah. class of society. It was normal for them. They were making the money. They were doing what they wanted to do. But now it's let's go back to that because we don't want to deal with stuff that's complex which is people we don't want to deal with inclusion and equity because we, we don't know how to handle that we, we're going to get that wrong anyway so we don't we're going to stay away from that it's that whole path of least resistance that's why you got a slogan like that and if people in those rooms in those environments are all having the same group things like you just talked about they're thinking exactly the same which is back yeah. in the past not not forward thinking which is how they need to be analyzing it so if there's no one in those rooms in those environments And nothing's really changed from that, from their perspective. Can we actually build new ways of working and new ways of operating and new ways of new policies and infrastructures? Or are we just going to revert back to to that?
0: I think, unfortunately, we're going to revert back in some instances. But at the same time, there are going to be tweaks because the dynamics and demographics of the world has changed. And you've had enough people that were in some of those positions of power that are That have felt the pain Of what the changes that have occurred and there's just enough people in some areas that are seeing I See in the light (laughs) That, That are seeing how a change needs to come about I I on the whole, hate to be pessimistic, <laughs> hate to be pragmatic, but I, I don't see the changes that, you know, the big societal, you know, you know, there needs to be like the samurai sword needs to come down and like, seriously just say, okay, this is a change, cut it off. I, I don't see it happening overnight. I think there'll be. Some change they said the demographics of the world is changing. And so the people at the very top They are trying to hold on to the power that they have Mm -hmm. and The gap between the people that are the most powerful the most rich and the people that are the poorest and that have the least amount of power that's getting wider but at the same time the people in the middle they're also getting poorer but the people in the middle actually are very much aware so it's it's like there's an awareness that is growing bigger and bigger by some of the people in the middle that didn't care before but now they're seeing and they're feeling it before They were just seeing it and not thinking it affected them, but now that it's beginning to affect them and that is that rule, once it begins to affect you, then you start to pay attention and there are people that it didn't really affect them and now they're starting to pay attention because they're seeing the changes and they're not liking it. So I think there's, there's change, I mean we're in the middle of that change and every Uh, another thing that also irks me. Everybody's like, oh, you know, there's a big seismic change in, in, you know, in society. There's always a seismic change in society. (laughs) It's just that for the last year and a bit, we've all been kind of stopped in this place where we've been able to pay attention Mm. to that change because, you know, the pandemic happened and that affected every single thing on the planet. Whereas before we'd had natural disasters, whatever, those affect little pockets of places in the world and changes happen there. You have, you know, political unrest that affects changes there, but you have something like a pandemic and it stopped basically the whole world, except the world didn't stop, which of course, if it had all stopped and everybody had just agreed on stoppage time, eh, we'd be in a better place, but you know competitive advantage and all that, but, but because that happened, people were just a lot more aware. And I think that helped. It's kind of a good and a bad thing. It helped because it really opened the eyes of a lot of people to things that were going on in the world that they would normally not have been aware of. They wouldn't have paid attention to it, but because the world basically pretty much stopped, There's an awareness now and there's I I wouldn't say an awakeness, but there was sort of this eye-opening Development in the world of oh, wait a minute. There are some things here that are not really good But the only problem is Some people are willing to suck up (laughs) Um, They're willing to take the bad in order to feel good they they don't want to, I don't know. Uh, I guess it's the fact that some people don't aspire to anything greater. They're just quite content to just be. Yeah. And I think that for me is is probably the worst thing in the world is people that are just content to be. Because then what is your purpose? What you should everybody should have a purpose. There should be a purpose to to want something not just better for yourself or better for your family, just better for the world. To know that when you leave the world, you're leaving it in a better place than when you came in. And just being is just existing, and existing isn't being alive. And I don't understand why people would not want to be alive, to experience everything that could be possible in life, to know that you are, I don't know, raising the world, raising, Just smelling the air, sniffing grass, knowing that it is actually truly alive instead of just walking around in this fog of existence just blows my mind. I just, I, I think, you know, why would you not want to do something more? You know, you don't have to run out and, you know, be Greta Thunberg or something, but aspire to something bigger. And even if you don't ever achieve it, at least you are, Trying to aspire to that at least you are looking and grabbing and just saying you know what? Yeah, you know, it's just like even being an entrepreneur. Everybody says oh, you know, everybody should be an entrepreneur It's not a matter of being an entrepreneur It's not a matter of not wanting to work your nine-to-five work your nine-to-five But when you're working that nine-to-five aspire to be the best at what you're doing in that nine-to-five You know aspire to be that best person in your family, you know, making sure you're doing whatever for your kids. Make sure you aspire to be the best partner to somebody. It's just a matter of being the best you can be and trying to, ah, it just frustrates me. Sorry, I just, sorry, I'll be quiet now. <laughs> you shouldn't let me rant on like that.
1: Nah, I was like, come on, come on. So you keep on going, keep on going. Because what you're talking about is the difference between Living and existing, isn't it? And so many people just settle for a life of mediocrity, of of not really stepping outside and having that purpose. And it's as we've seen over the last year especially, it's not really a life you're living. You're just hair. You're just waking up in the morning, you're standing in your in your box. And we had the noise previously that helped us to think and pretend that will actually live in our lives. But when you strip away that noise and all you're left with is the four walls in your house and you start asking yourself, like, what am I really doing? What's my real purpose? And you don't have an answer for that. That's a very, very lonely way of, of operating in your life. And it's about looking at ways of actually changing that and doing things that are valuable because it just doesn't impact you has an impact on those around you and the wide wider society. And there's so many multiplier effects involved in when you start living a very purpose driven kind of life as opposed to just being here.
0: And I I do believe that's one of the reasons why people experienced a lot of the sort of the, I wouldn't say the mental health, but yeah, the mental health issues the depression, the the issues with just being at home, because when it was all stripped away, they weren't able to just sort of have that life that they thought they were having of going and hanging out, and you know going shopping, and you know going out to eat, and hanging out with their friends and whatever. When it was all stripped away, they didn't have the relationships that they thought they had. Mm-hmm. You know the people that they were hanging out with were not the ones that were calling them and saying, "Hey, how are you doing?" They didn't hear from those people. The places that they would normally go to, they they just didn't have that structure, that support. It just didn't exist. They didn't have anything else, and so I, I really do think that's where a lot of people have faltered because they, I don't know, they were just. Existing, <laughs> I know. Uh, I mean, yeah, they just it just existed, and I, I think throughout my life, I've never, I, I've done so many different things. As I was saying before, I've forgotten so much. I mean, it's really funny. The other day, I, I think I was just looking at a motorcycle, and. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I used to. When I was back in engineering, I used to be a metal finisher. I used to work in a lab. I used to be, you know, we used to work on hubcaps for cars, aerospace parts, you know, the, the side chassis of, you know, Harley Davidson's chrome plating. And I'm like, I used to do that. (laughs) And I was like, mind blown. Wait a minute. I, I used to do that. And you just. Think of where you are now, and it's just, I don't know, you know, I don't want to go to Mars, but I sure would like to have been an astronaut. (laughs) I don't know about Mars, but man, if I could just get a seat on, you know, on the the Virgin Galactic thing, I put my name for it, but I didn't get selected. But, you know, just to go, it would just be just to go, just so I could look back at Earth that would probably be the most awesome thing, just to see this beautiful planet from another angle. It would just be beautiful. But yeah, I'm strange.
1: <laughs> Visionary. Well, last question I'm going to ask you, just for a wrap up, will be: How do you define leadership? Hmm.
0: Being honest. Mm-hmm. being honest and i would say maybe being being honest with yourself being honest with the people around you and and it's not it's not a matter of being honest to hurt others but it's being honest just to make sure that whatever you're doing is i wouldn't i don't want to say right because you know that's subjective but as is you know whether or not someone thinks you're being honest and whether you are being honest that's subjective too but i i think there's a level of honesty with yourself honesty with those around you so that when you do something you can truly say that you believe what you're doing because I think if you're, you're not being honest with yourself when you do something you can't ever really, you can't just say, yeah, I did that. Cause if you're, if you're honest with yourself and somebody says, well, why did you do that? And you say, this is why, or this is why not. And it's like you, you own it when you're honest, when you're not, when you're not being honest, you don't want to own that. So I, I don't know. That's one of those questions. Why'd you ask me that? (laughs) 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 I, 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 you know,
1: because you were going to give me an honest answer, which is uh, what you did. I like that.
0: It's sometimes a detriment to myself because you know, As I was told yesterday that I needed to sometimes sugarcoat, and I was like, sugar's bad for you. (laughs) 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 It's true! (laughs) <laughs> and it might be especially bad for you if you're from a Caribbean family, you know, it's like come on man High incidence of type 2 diabetes <laughs> It's either gonna get you sugar or salt. What can you say man? It's either gonna be the salt fish on the bun <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, I would say honesty be honest
1: Okay And I just want to say thank you for this um, this conversation. It's just been great hearing your opinion, your journey, and also the work you're doing behind the scenes as well, which, as well as in front of, of certain people in the tech world, pushing the dial, um, changing the game, embracing new ways of working talking and being honest with a lot of leaders that you have access to and just driving the conversation forward in the right way. I think we need uh, we definitely need a lot more people like you who are using their positions and their relationships just to be like, actually, we need to change things. And, you know, just saying it with action, with words, or you're dealing with action as well. And some of it is visible, some of it is not, but all of it is driven around around change. So it's great to see, it's great to to just see that change happening. And people can tap a lot more into what you do um on your website, which I'll put the show links in there on LinkedIn and whenever you decide to post. And (laughs) and so many other conferences and talks that you that you do. Um but I'll put all your details in the show notes so people can get a lot more of of Suki and we would not <laughs> delve into like the intelligence side of things that you do, and like I said, there's so much that we could we could have gone in. But I really appreciate you you, know, you coming in today to oh, having this conversation. Thank him. you,
0: right? You know, I'm happy to do you know the the, the series of Suki. You know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> oh, we could <can> do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the craziness, but uh, thank you very much for you know. Inviting me for allowing me to pontificate, uh, <laughs> to to wax on, wax off. <laughs> and um, I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so very much.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. This is Everyday Leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time on Everyday Leadership.